Uh, we are coming to a close of the Advent as we are working through uh, why we celebrate. Why do we celebrate? Why do we make such a big deal about Jesus coming and His birth? You know, uh, why, do we, why do we celebrate um, with uh, all kinds of traditions? Why is it celebrated worldwide? Um, why is it, uh, is, is it something that at church we, we have choirs and we have special readings and we have all kinds of things? Why do we light candles? Why do we do all of these things and make it uh, quote-unquote special? Why is it that Christmas and Easter are the two services that are most highly attended that, that normally uh, if you don't attend church, that's the Sunday that you got to be there? Why is it? We're going to bring it all to a close today, and I want to share with you um, why I think and why I uh, love Christmas so much, why it's so special to me. Um, we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, so if you have your copy of God's Word and you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read together verses 18. I'm, I'm going to read, and, and you can follow along, verses 18 through 24. And once you have that, if you would just stand with me, we make it a point of emphasis that what we teach here is the Word of God, and we want to give its proper place because it is not the words of Pastor Nate or any of the other elders that come up here. It is the Word of God, and that's what we celebrate. That's what we teach on. So we want to just give it preeminence this morning. Starting at verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice uh, whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not even endure the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word, than the blood of Abel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that as we look at your coming in flesh and blood, the life that you lived on our behalf in human form, to go to the cross willingly to die for sin and to make atonement. And Father, I pray this morning as we consider your advent and why it is so special, I pray that our hearts would be warmed and would cause us to rejoice and give glory to your name, to yours only, is all glory, honor, and praise deserved. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to continue in the context as we've been kind of walking through Hebrews. It's not a typical uh, Advent series passage, but uh, I have found it uh, fitting very well. It's a great passage. It's a book that is written, uh, keeping in mind the context, is a book that is written to uh, Jewish believers who were just struggling. Struggling because as they walked into the temple and they would consider their heritage, which was uh, to a Jewish uh, believer or to a, to a Jew, period, the, the heritage in a name is, is everything. 
And to come to Christ and to say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, was to forsake all of that. And then to walk into Jerusalem, maybe, to walk into the temple area and to see the sacrifices going on and to feel the rejection from family would have been difficult. It would have been a struggle for, for any Jewish believer who has is, who is literally forsaken all for the sake of Christ. And, you know, we talk oftentimes about forsaking all to follow Him, forsaking all to follow Him, but do we really experience that cost? And to them, it would have been very real, it would have been surreal, it would have been uh, very evident. And so the writer here is encouraging them. And, and we mentioned the first week, some key words, the word better, better, over and over again, better. Jesus is better. He is better than Moses. He is better than Aaron. He is better than the old covenant we looked at last week. He is better he is better. Jesus is always better. And, and so the chapter starts with this, this idea, do not grow weary. But in fact, look around and see the great cloud of witnesses. He just walked through chapter 11, the heroes of faith. And he says, look at these men of faith. They didn't always receive in this life the promise, but they were to receive it in the coming life to come. And do not grow weary. Look to Jesus who is better. Look to the author and founder of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Look to Jesus. God is sanctifying you. He goes on, consider him who endured such hostility. God has called you his children. You are his children. That's why he allows discipline in our lives because he is trying to grow us and to mature us into the image of his son. He is constantly wanting us to understand that he is doing these things out of love. He is calling us. And, and so he's speaking to these Jewish believers that while you are suffering, don't be like Esau, who, who for the flesh gave it up, sold it simply. Don't be like that. And you see this final challenge, and, and the book of Hebrews is filled with what many people have termed warnings, and this is the final one. And he says, do you really want to go back? Do you really want to go back? Do you want to be like Esau and, and forsake what God has given you, the birthright? Do you really want to go back? Well, let me remind you, this is what he says, let me remind you of what it is to be under the law. Let me remind you of what it is to be without Jesus. And that's where our passage starts in verse 18 of chapter 12. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. And this is a reference to Exodus chapter 19. So if you have your word, your copy of God's word, flip back to Exodus 19. I want to just read it to you and keep it in perspective and, and talk about this for a minute. Exodus chapter 19, really it's starting at verse 9 is what we're going to get. Here we have the scene. I want to paint the picture of the scene for you. We are uh, the... Israelites have, have marched out of Egypt, they have crossed the, the sea that God had parted, they have come into the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai, this great spectacle. Uh, uh, I want you to consider the scene that there's probably one to two million people gathered at the foothill of this mountain. And, and Moses has instructed them, he says, God has told me to get yourselves clean, get yourselves prepared, prepare your heart because we are about to speak to God Almighty. 
the one who has called us out of bondage and slavery to Egypt. He is the one that, that cast all the plagues on the land there. He is the one that parted the sea that we could cross and have come to this very point. He is the one whose who's a, a pillar of fire led us and, and the cloud behind. And he is the one, and we're going to approach him. And, and so get yourselves ready. And starting at verse 9 of Exodus chapter 19, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Wouldn't that be reassuring, as a speaker on behalf of God, that he would come and say, guess what, I'm going to speak to the people, and I'm going to show myself, and they are going to know that what you say is on my behalf. When Moses told the words of the people, the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. Jump with me then to verse 16 of the same chapter. It says, Then on the third day, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up uh, like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went. Jump with me one more time to chapter 20, verse 18. God has declared the, the Ten Commandments on behalf of, uh, of His law to Moses to go down. It says in verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking, and the people, they were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for, the God, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. That's some heavy stuff. I want us to, to really grasp it. I want us, if we have to just close our eyes and visualize what's going on, you know, one to two million people having witnessed the miracles of God as He has brought them out. And, and, and this picture that we are painted of God coming down upon the mountain, it's not like the irreverent comments about God today, the man upstairs. He's not just the man upstairs. He is holy God who has come down in such a way that there is fear and trembling that if we were in the very presence of the Lord, every time you read in Scripture where somebody encounters the angel of the Lord, it literally says that they faint and they fall on their faces. We talk about, what will I say when I stand before God? If you are not a believer in Christ, if Christ is not whom God sees in you, in that moment of judgment, you will not have moments to give a defense. You will be falling on your face in utter terror and fear. That's the reality. 
That's the God that is painted for us here in Hebrews. And, and, and the writer tells these, these uh, believers that are struggling and saying, but, but, but we are, we are uh, uh, feeling the weight of oppression from giving up Judaism to follow after Christ. And he says to them, let me, let me just remind you of where you came from. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, a physical place, a physical thing with one to two million people at the foot of a mountain, a, a picture, a scene filled with darkness and gloom, a mountain that is on fire, that is not being consumed, that is raging. You know, I've, I've, I've felt some minor earthquakes before, but I've never seen mountains tremble and shake. A fire that is not consuming, but is in utter darkness, doom and gloom. Tempests, it tells us, a, a, a vortex of fire. If you've ever seen fire raging, you, you see it flow upward. You know why it flows upward? Here's a little firefighter lesson for you. Fire, the most flammable substance on earth, is, is oxygen. CO2 as well, and so it, it is incomplete combustion when something burns, and so there is a, 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 a oxygen elements that flow upward, and so fire is always trying to go up. So if you ever see fire, you wonder why it goes up. It's because it's trying to grab the oxygen. And, and here we have this idea of this vortex of fire, these tempests, and, and just an amazing idea. And then, then not only that, but a sound of a trumpet. You know, we have trumpets playing for us this morning, and, and we think about how loud a trumpet can be, but imagine a trumpet that is so loud that it is ever increasing in volume as it goes, never dying down, never uh, 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 quieting but increasing in volume to the point where it's ear-piercing and oppressive. And then in the midst of all of that, a voice comes out. We're told that it's a voice without seeing a form. It's the voice of God speaking. So terrifying it is that it says that the people are shaking. And then again, it increases in intensity as it goes. And there is a reality here brothers and sisters, that I want us to consider that the, everything in this image had a specific purpose. Everything was designed to impress God's awesomeness and His holiness on the people. And essentially, what was communicated is that God is not to be trifled with. And God speaks in the midst of it, a voice that is filled, fills the people with such fear and trembling. We're told here that it says that those who heard it begged that no further message be spoken to them. And not just the, 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 the actual voice, but the message of it, the law handed down to them was so hard for them to even hear it that it would be impossible to, to obey it, that the, even what was commanded they could not stand to hear. And so it says that they came to Moses and they they say, we can't handle it. And they begged him, no more. You see, there is a reality that there is a distance between us and God because of his holiness. So the writer of Hebrews says, you have not come. If you are in Christ, and keep in mind what he is talking to is he is talking to Jewish believers. And he says to them, you have not come to Mount Sinai. 
A place, a physical place where there is fear and trepidation and there is a a holy and just God who looks at us in our sinful state and says, you are condemned. He says, that's not what you have come to if you are in Christ. And then we are told that even Moses approached it. So terrifying was the sight that Moses trembled and says, I am in fear. This is Moses who experienced God in the burning bush. This is Moses who, who saw the plagues of Israel, of Egypt. This is Moses who saw the sea parted before him. This is Moses who experienced the provisions of God as, as, and the, the, the march and the procession out of Egypt. This is Moses who experienced and saw the deliverance of God's people through the miraculous nature and he trembled and feared because there is a vast difference brothers and sisters there is a vast difference between the things that God does and the God who does them and if nothing else if you don't get anything out of this morning's sermon and we are getting going to get to a turning point here eventually if you get nothing out of it i want you to understand that there is a just and holy god who stands before all people and he is not to be trifled with and so it says that moses saw and trembled and the writer of hebrews this is essentially what he is saying through these first several verses up to verse 22 he says is this really what you want You want Mount Sinai? You want to brag about your self-righteousness and all the things that you do as Jews? You want to, as as hypocritical uh, followers, as, as, as people who attend church but have no right understanding or relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what you want to do? You want to rest on the laurels of your good works and your good deeds in comparison to a just and holy God and His law? You want to approach Mount Sinai with all of your good deeds to offer to Him? Is that what you really want, or do you want to be under Jesus and grace? See, the reality is that the law in the Old Testament requires a distance between us and a holy God. But we have one of the most amazing verses in Scripture here. Verse 22, it starts with the word but. But. Why is Advent so important? Why do we celebrate Advent? Why do we come to church on Christmas and say uh, Jesus was born in a manger? Why? Because the great contrast. Thank God for Advent and Jesus. Because of Him, this is what we have. That's what the writer tells us. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. You have come, and, and, and note that the original language, it doesn't just say uh, uh, you will come. It says you are come, not you will or shall come, but you are now. This is where those who are in Christ are spiritually right this moment. If you are sitting here in Christ, this truth is true for you today. You have come to Mount Zion, not the physical, but the spiritual. It is the place of redemption. To the city of the living God, not the earthly, but the heavenly, where there is no temple, by the way. In Judaism, it was all about the temple. The disciples, as they walked with Jesus in those moments before his uh, arrest and betrayal and crucifixion, they, they turned to Jesus, I think it's in Matthew chapter 23, and they say, Jesus, what do you think about this place? 
Isn't this temple amazing? Isn't this spectacular? And Jesus in one fell swoop gives his opinion of it. He says, you know what? In a few moments, this is all going to be torn away and there won't be a single stone left upon it. Because Jesus doesn't care. The, the, the heart of Jesus is not the temple. In fact, we're told in Revelation 21 that there is no temple because Jesus is the temple and we will be with him. You have come to the city of the, of the living God because sacrifices are done and he is present. You come to Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about uh, uh, the, the story of Hagar and Sarah and the allegory that it is. And he says, but you are come to a heavenly Jerusalem, one that is above. This is what we look forward to. Sometime I'd encourage you to open up Revelations chapter 21 and 22 and just read through it and find the glorious depiction of what is ours in Christ. This is our promise. Set your thoughts on things above. Mind has not conceived, nor eye has not seen. And, and he's, he's writing to us, and he's telling these, these uh, uh, Jewish believers who are struggling, and he speaks to us today who are believers who might be struggling with, with our hope and our encouragement in a dark and, and depressing time where you turn on the news for three seconds, and you're like, oh, wow, what is going on? And he's saying, look to the finish line. Let us run the race. And this is the finish line. This is the prize. This is our hope we are running toward. A Jerusalem above. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Uncountable number of angels gathered. And in the original language there tells us it is a festal. It is a feast. A gathering place. Brothers and sisters, we can read where Jesus tells us in Luke, he says that in heaven, when one sinner repents, there is rejoicing with the angels. So imagine what it's going to be like when the saints gather together in glory, how there will be festal, innumerable, uncountable angels worshiping the Father, the Creator, the Savior, and rejoicing over what has come. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn, the general assembly, joy unspeakable, a people claimed by God. It is called to the church firstborn, by the way. It is not, the the original language here does not say the church of the firstborn. It is the church of firstborn. There's no definite article there. Why is that significant? Because that is us. We are all firstborn in Christ. We are all heirs and co-heirs with Christ. So it is the, the, the idea here is that it's those who are called all in heaven get the birthright. And then it says that they are enrolled in heaven. The roll is written in heaven. Your names are written. And again, the tense of the original language is so important. It says your names are written. They stand written. They will remain written. You can't mess it up. It is permanent. And just in case you are nervous about that, the role is managed by God, the judge of all, who sees Christ in you.
to God the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous made perfect and to justified men brought about by Jesus. And he closes with this most incredible verse. In case you need affirmation, in case you need encouragement, in case you need to know what it is that Advent means. You are not called to Mount Sinai, you are called to Zion, you are called to Jesus. It points to his humanness because of Advent. That he came, that he lived, that he put on flesh and blood. You're called to Jesus And we're told two things about this, that he is the mediator of a new covenant. The new covenant he has authored and created for us is his advocacy. Why did Jesus come? So that he could live in the flesh, that he could walk among us, so that he could die among us, that he could die for us, so that he could then forever advocate on our behalf. Josh read to us this morning, or Lauren and I, uh, at the beginning, that my little children, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if you do, guess what? You have an advocate. You have an advocate. Romans 8, 34 tells us, well, who is it that is to condemn? Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the only one who has authority to condemn you. And guess what? It is He who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. What is He doing there? He is interceding on our behalf. This is the covenant you have been called into. This is the covenant that He is mediating for you on your behalf. If you are in Christ, this is why Advent is so important because He came, He lived, and He died among us. He died for us so that He can then speak on the, to the Father on our behalf and say, no, no, I represent them because they have put their hope and faith in me and therefore it is my blood sacrifice that has paid for their sins. And if He did not come, we would be left without hope. But instead He has come and we are told in 1 John chapter uh, 3, One of the most important messages anyone can hear. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called, what? Children of God. And then he goes on in verse 2, and I want you to hear this. Because so oftentimes we think, well, when I die, I will become a child of God. When I am made right, I will become a child of God. When I, when I, when this moment happens, guess what it says? You have been given the right to become children of God, and so now we are, right now. He is our advocate. This is what you have been called to, to Jesus, because he has come and he was born as a baby and he was uh, brought into a frailty and he condescended himself and and he uh, took on subjection to his very creation and he is now able, because he has been given the authority, because he has gone through it, to author a new covenant and he is the mediator between God and man for us. And he claims, him, claims us for himself. And as his advocate, he will stop at nothing for us because we are his children. So he says that we have been called to Jesus, the mediator, but not just that, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. To the blood. In Genesis chapter 4, we hear the account of Cain and Abel. 
We read about how Cain kills his brother out of anger. He kills Abel, and Jesus, or the father comes to him and he says, Kay Cain, uh, where's your brother Abel? And Abel says, who am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. And God speaks this incredible word to him. He says, no, no. The blood of your brother Abel cries out from the ground, and you shall forever be cursed because of it. Why does the blood of Jesus speak a better word than the blood of Abel? Because the blood of Abel cries out vengeance. Vengeance is what it needs and it requires because of the violence done upon him. His blood cries out from the ground. It deserves re, uh, uh, vengeance and, and, and justice. And here is the blood of Jesus. It cries out forgiveness and cleansing. I don't know about you, that's the blood I want to go to. A blood that covers my sin. A blood that covers my weakness. A blood that makes me bought, cleansed, forgiven. Why is Advent so important? Why was it necessary? Because in Jesus' life and death, He came and He offers to us a better covenant. You have to keep seeing this, law, fear, and trembling, or festal gathering. Which is it that you would like? If you think you don't need Jesus, let's go to Mount Sinai and see how you compare. If you forget the reason why He came, then let's go to Mount Sinai and see what it means to not even be able to stand in the very presence of a holy and just God. He stands on our behalf. That's why He came. He intercedes as a mediator of a better covenant. So what's the application in all this? Advent means He came, and we, we, we can talk about this. We've already talked about it. Advent means He came, He lived, He overcame, and now He intercedes. This is the gospel. And I'm not going to be so foolish as to think that there are people in here that don't need to hear the gospel. This is the reality that God created mankind in innocence and He said, this is all for you to enjoy. But there's one thing that I command you to do and that is not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we sit here and we, we can get so distracted about what is the representation and what is the knowledge of the church. Here's the facts, brothers and sisters. It's this simple. Man disobeyed God. God gave them one command and they couldn't even keep it. And in and, and this incredible moment, uh, God comes to Adam and Eve and He's like, where are you guys? And, and of course, God knows where they are. He's asking them to confess. And He says to Eve, what is it that you have done? And in that moment, the heartbreak of the world happened that mankind became eternally separated from God. That there is a gulf and a distance that God said, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to come with smoke and, and fire and all of my holy wrath and indignation and justice and all of it. And I'm going to present to you what you must do in order to now be able to come back into relationship with me. 
And it was so fearful and trembling that people at that mountain quaked and said, Hey, Moses, you go on our behalf. We can't even see God. We can't approach him because he is right. We have violated his law and we are standing in, in a place where if we, in fact, it tells us in that very chapter of Exodus that if anybody approaches the mountain, that the mountain would, li- or that, that God's uh, presence would literally consume them, fall upon them. And there was this eternal gulf until Jesus came, born of a virgin, born of Mary, as a little child. And he lived for 30 years, walked among us, was perfect, holy, and just. He obeyed God's law in every way, point. And he was hated by his own and they took him and they crucified him on a cross as a thief and as a criminal and he never had committed any such thing. He had never in one moment of thought, word, or deed ever violated God's law. And as he died upon a cross, his blood poured out. It became that he would be the sacrifice. And that we are told that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be cleansed. And in Romans we're told, it's this simple, that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This, this book, it ain't that complex. We make it so complex. People sinned. Eternally separated from God, Jesus, as God in the flesh came, lived among us, offered his life as a ransom and said, I will pay the penalty for deeds that you have done and could never fully make recompense. I will satisfy the wrath of my father. And then I will make you have the greatest privilege ever to be called children of God. It's as simple as that. But it doesn't happen if he doesn't come. So why is Advent so important? What should we do about Advent? We ought to be rejoicing. It ought to be the greatest moment for us of the year that we are rejoicing that God came for us. We do not neglect the one who came for you, who speaks to you, and who speaks on your behalf. You are a son and a daughter of Jesus and and of the Father because He has come. You are His children and you have that great privilege. Rejoice in it. Teach your children that they are not come to Mount Sinai, but they have the opportunity to come to Mount Zion. We should be speaking of it in our homes that when we offer gifts around our traditions at, at, at Christmas, we ought to be talking about the most important reason of it, which is that Jesus came so that we can have an advocate with the Father so that we can be called His children. You are a son or a daughter because he came. And not only is it that we ought to rejoice in it, but I want to give you something very practical, brothers and sisters, this morning. You are a son or daughter. When you have need, go to him. He came to you so that you can go to him. 
He came to you because there was a gulf that you could never cross. He came to you to make a way. And we looked at that last week, that we have a way into the holy places, that is into the very presence of God, that when we walk to God, we don't come to a mountain that can be touched, but we go into a, a sacred spiritual place, a holy place that we can forever go. And guess what? He is interceding for you and providing for you all the time. And in case you wonder about how long that is, Hebrews chapter 7 tells us why he is such a, greater, a great high priest. Because he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession. Matthew seven eleven tells us, uh, if you then, though you are evil, if we at Christmas time know how to give good gifts to our children, we know how to wrap them up and give them nice things, if we know how to do that, imagine how much more your Heavenly Father will give good gifts to those who are called by Him. How much more? Go to Him, because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because when we don't even know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with words and groanings too deep for words. So at Christmas time, we ask, what is Advent? Why is it so important? It's important because we have come to Jesus who has made a way. The kids are going to be coming up here and they're going to close us with some beautiful songs and we'll think through, oh, how cute that is, how wonderful that is. And as you, if you have grandchildren or if you have kids up here and you think about how sweet in, in, in that moment, I'm sure when they get home and they, they fuss or whatever and then they, they cause you pain, you'll be like, yeah, I remember that moment. Keep, hold on to that moment, you know. These are our children, and, and think of the heart that we express in love for them, and imagine how much more God the Father loves us as His children. And know that His coming means that you come to a far greater place. It is to Mount Zion, a place of redemption. It is to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, and a blood that cries out, forgiveness cleansing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you came. You did not leave us here alone without any hope, without any help. But you came and you offered to us a new covenant. And Father, I pray for any of us here today that might be struggling with what is going on in our life that we are thinking, well, is it really worth it all? Would you remind us that we are not come to a mountain that we cannot approach God. But we have come to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who has declared for us that we ought to be his children. And now we are a father who declares his goodness to us in presenting to us all good spiritual gifts that we need for life and for godliness. And Father, I just close with this. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who has not made you their hope, I pray that if there is anyone here today that has not put their faith in you and has not made a relationship with you as priority, Father, I pray that today would be a day of salvation, that there would be hope in Jesus Christ, and that we would consider why He came to live and die 
on our behalf. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' precious name, amen.
All right. If you have a kid here, would you just make sure they can see you as they go down to sit with you, whether that's to stand so that they can see you. And as they go down, I want to read, and then we're going to light this last candle. And then uh, Stephen is coming up here, right, to uh, lead us in a couple of verses of Silent Night. We're going to kill the lights and uh, sing with candlelights. I'm going to light the white candle, and then we will light as Christ enters the light of the world. As we already heard earlier, that he came and dwelt among us. So, Isaiah chapter 9. Starting at verse 6, it declares for us, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 